but Miss Taiwan like. can really like you know. right? All right, let's bring it back to the techno prince.、Uh, now, before the video, I asked you how long ago Prince Nojat was born. Now, now you said fifteen hundred years ago.、Mm-hmm. Leslie, you said three thousand years 3, ago. Let's have a look at the answer. Oh, wow, you're well, doing good. There's a plus at the end、you、of that. So well, maybe destiny for you and her to、so. get to. <laughs> <I hope so. laughs> Again, this has nothing to do with Miss Taiwan.、Um, now, three thousand plus years ago, this would have been the end of the Shang Dynasty. Of course, we don't have exact dates because this was a legend.、Um, now, when he was born, he when he came out, he was this big ball of flesh.、Uh, he was born after a long pregnancy. His father saw this ball of flesh and thought he was a monster. And so he took a sword and he split him in half,、oh, and then out popped <laughs> a fully formed human boy. What's this all about? Why are they doing that? What's going on here? It's Curious John. What is he curious about today? When Tony Tamsier first came to Taiwan during the 1990s, his home country, Indonesia, was relatively unknown here. He and some other ethnic Chinese Indonesians were among the first here, seeking a Chinese language education forbidden back home, and ultimately fleeing ethnically charged riots that targeted their families. How things have changed since those early days! Today, Indonesia is pretty hard to ignore here. In the years since then, thousands and thousands of Indonesians have come to Taiwan, either as migrant workers or as more permanent immigrants. For its part, Taiwan has started actively looking towards Indonesia as a source of workers, of course, but also as a source of trade, investment, and friendship. The riots and ethnic tensions that plagued Indonesia back in the 90s are still clear in Tony's memory. But despite all he and his family went through, he's still Indonesian to the core. And he's made a career helping fellow Indonesians of all backgrounds adapt to life in Taiwan. He's a fixture of RTI's Indonesian lineup, and he advocates for the rights of all Indonesians living here. Over the past few weeks, Tony's given us an overview of who's coming here from Indonesia and why. He's also shared the story of how he himself came to Taiwan. This week, he's back for a final look at what issues people from Indonesia still face in adapting to life here. He'll also pick up on and finish his own story. We mentioned labor rights. What are the challenges that people who come from Indonesia face? Some of people will face a little bit discrimination,、mm-hmm. and you cannot avoid that because there are very low-level workers in here. So they will face the discrimination because of the different languages, the different background, the different culture, and the different history.、Mm-hmm. And、uh, some Taiwanese people will think that、uh, they are higher than Indonesian people. <laughs> yeah,、um, but. Yeah, that's the challenge. And、uh, in terms of、uh, securing labor rights, what are the biggest problems for the migrant workers? Right, what problems do they face?、Uh, maybe the holiday. <laughs> they try to get a holiday and then、uh, try to fight for the the deduction for the agency、uh, because they have to pay the agency the fee. But what are these agents? What are they doing? When you want to go abroad to work, then you have to find one agency in Indonesia because you have to apply some for. 
from and then you have to get the job from Taiwan from the Taiwan employer. It's not easy for Indonesian people just to get the information. They need the agency. So you can't just go on a jobs website looking for a job and then go to show up at the representative office. They and cannot say, give me They my can. visa. Uh, it's not easy because uh, they are not coming from the higher education level, so they didn't know how to find a job. They only graduate from maybe high school or junior high school. Mm. Yeah. So these agents set them up with a job, and then what happens before they left Indonesia or fly to Taiwan? They will have the class about two months, the training. They will have training. They will have the working visa because when you want to apply visa, they have to go to Jakarta or Surabaya. And these workers are not living in the city, so they need the agency. When they arrive in Taiwan, they will be sent to the hospital to get the medical checkup mm -hmm. and then apply for the ARC. Uh, the resident certificate before they will taken to the employer house. And so this agency system is something they want to abolish. What do they want to replace it with? Uh, it's not easy to just uh, delete the agency system. It's not easy because mm -hmm. you really need them. You really need some people who helped you to do some paperwork, to fill the form, hmm. to apply for the resident certificate, <laughs> to take you to the hospital, to have the medical checkup. So they do everything. Blah blah blah. You have to uh, you have to do a lot of things if you don't have the agency. So you have to do by yourself. So they have they help them with all of that, not just paperwork. Yeah, that's right. And how much do they have to pay them in return? Is it a month's pay? Um, or? For the first year, they will pay one thousand and eight hundred per month. Mm -hmm. uh, the second year is one thousand seven hundred. The third year, they only have to pay one thousand and five hundred per but, month. But their contracts three years, so then they have to go back and do the whole thing over again if they want to stay, right? That's right. And the fees are fixed? Yes, the same. Okay. Yeah, it's fixed by the government. What percentage of their paycheck is that? Is that a huge deal for them or just a, a little bit? Okay, if you want to compare to the income in Indonesia, mm -hmm. uh, especially in their hometown, they can get maybe four to five times Good. compared to Indonesia wow. in here. So that's a big upgrade, as yeah, even though the work is hard. So most migrant workers from Indonesia who has worked in here, when they went back to Indonesia, they will become the middle class. So they can go home and and be like they've made their fortune basically. They're, yeah. From then on, uh, they can. That's why uh, Indonesian middle class are rising right now because they work abroad first. Yeah, that's right. So what sorts of resources are there here for people if they run into trouble or? Uh, they can call one nine five five. There are hotline numbers. Mm -hmm. They can try to connect to their embassy or their representative office in here. And the government here will help as well, right? They have a labor. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So they have help from their country and also Taiwan's authorities will crack yes, down on right. any abuses. There will be a kind of a counseling center mm -hmm. for the foreign workers, uh, which is for the migrant workers actually, who can speak two or three languages for their, their staff in each government in okay. Taiwan. So lastly, you've been here since the 1990s and you've seen a whole wave of people coming from Indonesia. Uh, how has Taiwan gotten to know Indonesia? Did they know Indonesia when you came here? And uh, with recent things like uh, our pivot to Southeast Asia, our new southbound policy, also the introduction of Southeast Asian languages in the school curriculum. Has all this added up to us knowing Indonesia better here? At the first time, they, they didn't know about Indonesia, but they know Bali. 
they Bali. know Bali Island. They know yeah. Bali and that's it. <laughs> yeah, they know Bali Island, uh, but they don't know. They didn't know about Indonesia. And these recent years, uh, after the South Bond policy, mm-hmm. most people started to learn about Indonesia, uh, start to get in touch with Indonesia. And if you want to compare to 20 years ago or 25 years ago, it's totally different. At the first time when I came to here, uh, most people will think that, uh, where is Indonesia? And how come you can come to Taiwan mm. to study and something like that? And uh, I have to explain again and again and again because they didn't know at all. But right now, when you saw the media or when you go to the internet, you will find that there are a lot of information right now about Indonesia and then uh, Indonesia is the biggest country uh, in Southeast Asia hmm. uh, in Asian so Indonesia also played a very important role for the Asia economics I think mm-hmm. right now yeah it's a, it's a big uh, one of the most populous countries in the world the fourth biggest the fourth one the, the fourth, fourth one. most populous country in the world it's yes. hard to ignore I mean yeah. and it's right on our doorstep we, we cannot ignore that yes no. uh, <laughs> um, and Indonesia people are spread around the world right now right. yeah so lastly can you tell us about what I mean, we've left off your story you're still a student so what have you done since i mean now you work here as an indonesian language host can you tell us about your work these days after i graduated from uh, university mm-hmm. i went to the tabitid government and work as the counselor in over there for six years and then i come to radio Taiwan international as the host and right now, I also do some news anchor in public television service for Indonesian languages. So there's an Indonesian language news bulletin even on TV here. Yes, all, all, all about Indonesian. Yes, you can ask me. Could you have imagined that 20 years ago or 25 years ago? No. No? No. So it's a big, uh, big change. Uh, it's a big change for me because I'm, right now I can say that uh, I play a role mm-hmm. uh, about uh, how to connect uh, the Indonesian and Taiwan, uh, especially in media side, and uh, how to interact and then to share the information uh, about Indonesia in here and share the information about Taiwan in Indonesia. As Taiwan's population ages and its workforce shrinks, people like these pioneering Indonesians are becoming indispensable, caring for Taiwan's senior citizens and generally helping to keep the place ticking. As new arrivals from Indonesia continue to come in, and as Indonesia itself grows, people like Tony are also indispensable, creating a bridge between two Asian lands that are getting acquainted with each other. I'm Curious John, and I'll see you again next week. Listening to Radio Taiwan International. If you have any comments or suggestions about our programs, you can email us at rti at rti.org.tw. Stroke of Light, a portrait of Taiwan through the eyes of painters, sculptors, filmmakers, and photographers. Hello and welcome back to Stroke of Light. I'm Jake Chen. Last week, we had a brief introduction of the comic strip paintings by Spanish artist Juan Cornella. 
we caught a glimpse of the nature of his work, which range anywhere from funny, satirical to upsetting, revolting and downright disgusting. But like I said last week, his work is not made just to add shock value. Behind the certainly shocking facade filled with blood and filth, his comic offers genuinely insightful critique to the many problems that are happening right in front of our eyes, yet most people are oblivious about. So what does his comic strips look like and issues do they critique? Well, perhaps more interestingly, how does he convey the sense of critique through short stories that are constructed in six, four, and sometimes only one frame? To answer that second question, the how, let's take a look at some of the aesthetics choices he makes throughout his work. We briefly look at a few of his comic strips last week, the ones that tell morbid stories of tenants in a building watching a man falling to his death only to give judges scores as if it is a spectacle, or a man who is almost killed in a car crash and yet is still trying to take a selfie on sight. All of the paintings feature very simple and clean lines with vivid colors. Such color scheme is not rare among comic strip artists. After all, their work is most frequently shown at the back of newspapers, and it is paramount that a character and words are clear to understand at first glance. But there's another purpose that simple lines and bright colors serve, which is to convey a mood that is lighthearted and upbeat. After all, people tend to read cartoons and comic strips for fun, unlike comic books which tend to explore deep-seated social issues and anxiety. Comic strips, as a genre of art, is supposed to be easier going. And that's part of the brilliance of the artist. At first glance, he seems to have conformed to the genre convention. His comic strips are filled with elements that appear to make the whole thing lighthearted. Apart from the clear lines and the bright colors, all of his characters have this big, empty grin on their faces. And when I say all the characters, I mean it. These include characters that are in the process of suicide, being shot at, being crapped on, etc. The empty grin becomes a trademark of his artworks. But precisely because he's showing these smiling characters in a very painful, bizarre and revolting situations, their smile only adds to the disjointed feeling of the comic strips. It is as if the characters' feelings are disjointed from what they are actually experiencing. It is as if nothing is more important to them than putting on a smile that makes them socially acceptable, despite the pain and ill treatment that they're going through. By seemingly conforming to comic book standards, Cornella in fact turns them on their head and uses their aesthetic conventions to further accentuate the ridiculousness of the many phenomena that he portrays and unveils right in front of our eyes. I stay in the exhibition room for quite a while, not just to get a thorough look of the artwork in the show, but also to see how people react to it. And what I gather is quite interesting. Members of the audience are often taken aback when they first lay their eyes on the comic strips. After all, the blood, the gore, the sex and filth, it's something that's not often seen in such a medium. They would then pause for a minute, 
try to take in the story, laugh about it, and in more than half of the cases, many turn around to take a selfie with it. As it turns out, Cornello's critique of our self-centered world isn't misplaced after all. In the following episodes, we'll explore in detail the subjects and topics that John Cornella critiques in his work. These include religion, racial issues, the heightened concept of the self in the current world, and many more. Stay tuned because there are plenty of surprises to come. For Stroke of Light, I'm Jake Chen, and I'll talk to you next week. together already. It's time to feast! Sit down at the table with Andrew Ryan and Ellen Chu on Feast Meets West. Hello, welcome to the feast. This is Ellen Chu. And this is Andrew Ryan. How are you doing today, Ellen Chu? I'm doing just fine. Excellent. I heard today we're going to the forest. That's right. We are going to be talking all about the forest, specifically the Chinese word for forest, right? Oh. Lin. Lin. Senlin. Okay, so it has two wood radicals, which mm-hmm. make a forest. It's also the common Chinese last name, Lin. That's right. And in pronounced in Cantonese, it would be a lamb, right? Mm-hmm. So... Everything in our program today is going to have something to do with this character. Wow. Um, shall we check out what's on our menu? Definitely. Let's hit it. Hit it, baby. In our first course, we'll tell you the origin story of the Lin family name and about some famous Lins. That's right. In our second course, a look at the first big modern department store in southern Taiwan, the Hayashi Department Store and its connection to the Lins. And in the third and final course, we'll be sampling a pastry stamp with the Lin family name. I want to show you this pastry before we go into our show. Okay. Have you seen it before? I think so. It sold in Hayashi, right? That's right. Uh Uh-huh. Look, it's very cute. It has a little Lin character on it. Oh. Am I holding it correctly? Yes. Isn't that cute? It's cute. We're going to tell you all about it and why there is a pastry that looks like this Mm -hmm. when we come back in a moment. Before we go into our first song, I want to ask you, do you know, is there like an origin story for the last name Chu, your last name? 
I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. None of the Lynns know about this origin story of their last okay. name either. Okay, <laughs> good. So I don't know what the Ran one is for my last name in Chinese uh-huh. either. <laughs> okay. All righty. So let's go into a song. And all of our songs in our program today all are sung by a singer whose last name is Lynn. This is Lin Yilian or Sandy, Sandy Lam. And she's from Hong Kong. So she has the Cantonese pronunciation on her name. This song is one of my favorites. It's called Just Ohio Ni. At, At least, least I still have you, Ellen Chu. Aww. Okay. <laughs> have a listen. We'll be back in just a moment with our first course. All right. <laughs> Yeah. We are here in our first course in our program. Today we're talking about Lin or mm. Lin or Forest in Chinese. Ooh. And I didn't realize that some Chinese last names have an origin story. Did you know this? Have you ever heard of any last name having an origin story? Yes, but I don't remember any of the origin stories. <laughs> I know they do have origin stories, but you know, it's like so many. I think especially for the names, like the last names that have like a special meaning, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm sure, for example, the last name Du 
Poison. Mm. Yes. Surely there's got to be a reason why somebody has that last name, right? right? But if it's something like, I don't know, Chen, Chen or Wong, like maybe it doesn't have an origin story. Who knows? Maybe it's like the person likes to stand on the east side of someone's ears. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's because it has an east radical and an okay. ear radical. All right. I don't know. All right. So the Lin family last name, apparently it all traces back to this guy, this terrible guy called King Zhou of the Shang period. He's a cruel king. Mm-hmm. When was the Shang period? Uh, it was in 1554, 11, 12, 22. BC, right? Right. Okay. So he had three uncles that were like his advisors. Mm-hmm. And they were called, do you know these guys? Bigan, Jizi, and Weizi. I don't know if I'm saying Wei-Zi, it properly. Wades. Yes. And the they three were... kind-hearted men of Shang in the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, so this king was cruel, as we mentioned, but his three uncles... Were could, kind. They were kind. And they were trying to, like, persuade him to change his ways, but he was um, a really terrible person. And uh, they... So they quit. Well, mm-hmm. one of them did. Wades uh, resigned. Jizi faked insanity, which I think is hilarious. And he was relieved of his post. And then the third guy, Began, uh, stayed on to continue advising the king to change his ways. Um, but he was unsuccessful. And after three days and nights, um, trying to persuade his bloodthirsty and immoral king to mend his ways, um, I guess he got arrested for treason. Mm. And so what did he do? His pregnant wife escaped into the forest she went into labor there, and with no one to help her, she gave birth to a boy in the rocky cave in the forest. Whoa. So, I think maybe people are guessing the forest, right? Right. P- plays a role in the story, so maybe it has something to do with the last name. And before long, King Zhou was overthrown by King Wu of Zhou Dynasty. King Wu knew about the courageous court advisor, Bigan, and uh, saw his wife and child. When he found them, actually honored them in respect of Bigan. The mother and child were restored to royal family. The new king conferred the surname Lin, meaning forest, on Began's son. Interesting, huh? Mm. So he was born in a forest, and then he got the last name Forest. Mm. Lin. That's yes. interesting. So who? how many like famous Lins can you think of? Jeremy Lin. Jeremy Lin is definitely one Lin of them. Lin Zhiling. The supermodel. Yes, Lincoln. Lincoln, who's that? <laughs> Lincoln? Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> That's pretty good. It's pretty good, huh? If you had the last name Lynn, it would, you could name her kid Cun. Uh-huh. Have you heard of yeah. somebody like that? <laughs> Lincoln, right? That's hilarious. Mm. Uh, famous choreographer in Taiwan, Lin Huai Min. Mm-hmm. He's the head of Cloudgate Dance Theater. Lin, Lin Youjia. Oh, yeah, Yoga Lin. Uh-huh. We're going to pl- be playing a song by him in just oh, a moment. Oh, great. Uh, here at RTI, we have Shirley Lin, who is definitely a Lin. Lin Qingxia. Who's that? The movie star. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lin Qingxia. Lin Fengjiao. I don't know who that is. She's also like movie one star. of the lead lead stars during that period. Wow. Uh-huh. Lin. What year is that? Like 40s? Or no, earlier? 20s? 70s. Oh, 70s. Later. Uh-huh. Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So I think actually, if you know uh, like ten Chinese people or you know ethnic Chinese, you'll definitely Ling know at least one. Ling is a very common Lin. name. I right. think so. Yeah. Uh-huh. There are some cities in China that have Lin as the number one most popular family surname. So you can see it's probably up high on the list. Wow. Of most popular last names in China. Mm. 
We're going to go into a song. As we mentioned, uh, Yoga Lin is one of the singers that we're going to be featuring today. And this is a song called mm-hmm. If You Stay. And this is actually the theme song of the TV serial called The World Between Us, which won a huge at the Taiwanese Emmys last, this, just this year. Uh, let's have a listen. When we come back in just a moment, we're going to be telling you all about one of the biggest and most famous department stores back in the 1930s in Taiwan. Course. All right, we are back on the second course of today's feast. Yes, Hayashi Department Store. So I guess this is uh, located in Tainan. That's right. Mm-hmm. They used to call it the five-story building because I guess back then there were, were no other buildings that were mm. five stories. And mm-hmm. Tainan is kind of like the historic southern capital of Taiwan, you could mm-hmm. say. Um, so they opened this department store on December 5th, 1932, during the Japanese rule in Taiwan. Mm. And when it was done, it was only one of two stores in Taiwan that had state-of-the-art elevators. Mm. And it was, I think, only uh, it was one of the two most famous department stores in all of Taiwan. And, and the building was actually bombed by the United States airplane at the end of World War II. And they refurbished the building and restored and reopened in 2014. Mm. Wow, that's really 
like recent. recent. Yeah. So it was、um, all the workings of a Japanese businessman whose name was Hayashi Hoichi. And what's interesting, I didn't realize this. Did you know that Lin is also a Japanese last name? Uh, yeah, I think so. Really? Uh huh. I totally didn't know this. I didn't know that too. So in Taiwan, if, you, if you're referring to this department store in Chinese, you say Lin Bai Huo or the、mm-hmm. Lin department store. But of course, in Japanese or English, it would be Hayashi.、Mm-hmm. Um, so this guy was born in a village in the mountains of Yamaguchi Prefecture、mm-hmm. in Japan in 1883. He lost his parents at a young age,、uh, was raised by his aunt and uncle. Um, and then 1902, at the age of 19, he left his village and went to work for the Sanyo, Sanyo. Railway Company and then started his own delivery company six、wow. years later. So later he came to Tainan in 1912 to try his luck. Fortunately, he found a mentor in Baba Tokujiro, the owner of Nichi Kichi. Gofu Kuka, Kuya, <laughs> and a traditional attire shop who gave Hayashi a job as bookkeeper in a shop. He eventually, you know, learned the business and opened a little shop in Baba's res- residence. And two other shops followed, and Hayashi made his first fortune. And eventually, he got enough money to make the Hayashi department store and opened、um, in 1932. But get this. He passed away from an illness in Taipei just five days after the department store I opened. I know. That's、It's、sad. It's so sad. So, interestingly enough, so from 1932, if you fast forward until、mm-hmm. 2013, Hayashi's second daughter in law, Hayashi Chieko, and her family came from Japan to visit the department store. It was the first time that a member of the family entered the building in 80 years. Wow. Can you imagine? It must have been very emotional for them、I、to、know. walk into the department、mm-hmm. store and see what their, their、right. ancestor had, had opened. But there are many things that you can buy at the Hayashi、uh, department store that represents this department store and also Tainan.、Mm. So,、um, yeah, we're going to be introducing those in just a moment. We're going to be、uh, introducing an edible. Thing that you can buy there. I actually went to the department store、uh, recently. I brought my parents there. Whoa. Have, you, have you been there? I, I've been there. I've been there、uh, this summer and last year's summer.、Mm. Right. It's kind of neat. It's the way they've got it decorated.、Right. It looks like it originally looked. Uh huh. And it's one of the, I think it's the only department store in Taiwan that has an altar, a shrine. Mm-hmm. On, the, on the top floor. Oh, it does. I didn't go up there. If you go up to the, the roof, okay. it's actually on the roof,、uh-huh. there's a little shrine, like a Japanese shrine,、mm-hmm. um, which is something that you don't see at any other、mm-hmm. department store in Taiwan. Okay. And the elevator, did you take the elevator when you went up? Yes, I did. It's cool. It's cool. An old elevator. Yeah, the traditional one. Yeah,、uh, you have to wait in line to take it because yeah, it's tiny. Yeah, I know. I think it only fits like four people or six people, I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah.、Mm-hmm. So, we're going to go into another、uh, song that's also sung by a Lin.、Mm-hmm. And this would be by、uh, Lin Yichen, Ariel Lin. And it's、okay. called Mei Hao de Lu Xing. Wow. So, beautiful journey. When we come back in just a moment, we're going to be sampling a special cake that they sell at the Hayashi department store. Whoa, is it sweet? Is it salty? We'll see. Thank you. 
剩什么默认？世界还是老样子。East meets West. Third course. Mmm. Okay. So, do you want to describe what the cake tastes like and looks like? It was round. It looks like a. It's like a pillow. Right, like a pillow, or you know, where you stick needles. Those、uh-huh. um, pin need- cushions. Yeah, pin cushions.、Mm. And then when you open it up, it's hollow inside,、mm-hmm. but it has like a filling,、mm-hmm. like you know, all around, and it's like a paste. Is it kind of like longyan or hongdou? Let me look and see what it says. It's definitely a very sticky paste, a sweet、uh-huh. paste, and、uh, it says heitang xiangbing. So we call them pongbing. Okay.、Um, and so it has brown sugar and other things in it. The main thing is brown sugar in there. So it's like kind of a brown, a reduced brown sugar sauce. But it's called a sweet cake, also known as postpartum cake.、Mm. Wow! It's a nutritional supplement for Thailand's postpartum women in former times, and this is made at a century-old bakery. Wow,、mm-hmm. and the red stamp on the crust is invented by a long-established seal maker.、Mm. So, besides the the affirmation、uh, mentioned, and then facts, the Hayashi's eighty-seven year history is also a highlight contributing to this historically meaningful cake. Interesting.、Wow. So it's got a basically they took a stamp like a chop and they stamped the Lin family name、mm. on the on the top of it,、mm-hmm. like a little.、Um, Almost like you'd see like somebody chopping their name on a on a painting or something、right. like that. So each of these cakes has a little lint on it,、mm-hmm. and it's、uh, it's nice. It's little got a little. It's basically just a crust in、mm-hmm. a globe shape, then with a sticky、um, brown sugar on the bottom of it. Yeah, but it's simple, but it's tasty. Mm. Mm. It tastes better than I expected、right. it to actually.、Oh. Do you think this is healthy for、um, women who have just had a baby? I think brown sugar it、mm. boosts it. Oh, it's、mm-hmm. good for your blood, right? 
So maybe it's kind of a more connected to Chinese medicine or kind of traditional ideas about uh, nutrition, yeah? Generating and getting the, but, uh, the blood flow. Mm. Mm-hmm. Very Circulation. Circulation. Mm-hmm. Right. So, Pong Bing, have you, I mean, is this something that's widely available throughout Taiwan, this kind of uh, cake or this no. kind of pastry? This is the this first time I've seen it. Pong Bing, have mm-hmm. you heard of it before? Yeah. You've heard of it. But it sounds like it came from China. Oh, uh, maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. I went to like a gathering this past Monday night mm-hmm. and they had all these Taiwanese foods that were kind of cleverly mm-hmm. made. They took these uh, smaller version of this because this one that you're eating now is, is kind of like a softball shape, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It was smaller than that and they filled it with custard and a little wedge of lemon and some like green kind of mint mm-hmm. and um, it was really pretty. They, they basically poked a hole in the top and they mm-hmm. filled it. Wow. Which is something I never would have thought of doing. Mm, interesting. So it's kind of a modern variation on a traditional Pongbing. pastry. Yeah. Mm. The Lin family Pongbing. Yeah. So there you have it. That's our show on all things related to the forest and the Lins. What's your favorite forest in Taiwan before we go? While we're talking about forests. Um, the <laughs> Mogui-chun. Xito. Xito. Yes. yes. Uh-huh. That's actually a really it's cool really place. It's really pretty. Mm-hmm. It has, um, is it based on like some kind of Japanese cartoon or something? Yes. And it has all the devils and monsters, right, as a theme. I'm going to just look that up and see if we can find, it's called Yao Guai Chun, right? Yao Guai Chun, yeah. It's, um, but it has all these little restaurants and things and like that. And you have a walk in the forest. You can go and see all their, the decorations mm-hmm. that they've done. Um, it is called, you're right, Monster Village, mm-hmm. and it is located in Nantou, mm. in Xitou, right. is the, uh, the location of it, the little village. But it has a lot of, like, Japanese lanterns and kind of, um, it's a cool place to go and just walk around and visit. And then you have, like, a huge, you know, uh, walk of forest that you can go inside and just have that, you know, uh, that, that. Bathe of nature. Mm, they, right? have, they have monsters in the forest? No, no. Only in the it's little village. little village, right. Okay. Alrighty, so that's our uh, Lynn episode. We're mm-hmm. going to leave you with our addresses today. Okay, are you guys all ready? It's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Email us at androo at rti.org.tw. And join us next week. That's right. Next Saturday, what are we going to be doing? We are going to be doing our Christmas special, Ellen Shu. Can you believe it? Time is going by so quickly. Santa's coming again. Santa's coming again. Well, maybe. Uh-huh. Depends on whether we've been good or not. Not okay. or nice. We'll Something see. Like that. We'll yeah. see if he still misses Andrew. <laughs> right? I don't see, I've never seen him here before. I think you're lying to me. <laughs> He's here every year. I get called out for yeah. some strange reason every mm-hmm. year. You're his favorite. Trust I me. know. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that's why he gives me charcoal so I can make right. barbecue every year. Exactly. <laughs> he knows you need it in the kitchen. That's mm-hmm. right. All right. We're going to leave you with one final song. It is called Shoshin de Changwei. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yes. Uh, beautiful. It's beautiful. And it has 58 million views on YouTube. Wow. And this is by perhaps the most popular Lin singer. This is JJ Lin, Lin Junjie. Lin Junjie. And along with G.E.M., who is Deng Ziqi. Uh-huh. 
All right. Yeah. For Peace Meets West, I'm Andrew Ryan. And this is Ellen Chu. Chu Ai Ling. Ryan Chu and Chu Ai Ling. Ling. Okay. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Bye.
Taiwan, a small island with a whole world of sounds. RTI news, programs, pictures, and more online at English.rti.org.tw. Check it out. Check it out. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kHz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. <laughs> 